Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. Hear my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been a refuge for me, a tower of strength against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. I trust you so much, Lord, that I'll just hang out back here at a distance while the enemy does his thing. Good luck with that, Lord. Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, verses 55 to 56. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. This is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 421 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We have said many times, and we have reminded you that women in Scripture represent communities. And in the context of this teaching in Genesis, that men try to propagate themselves in stone by literally building buildings to fabricate the illusion of eternal life, where God has created them male and female so that women would give birth, which is how God has willed there to be the continuation of life on his Adama, you have a natural tension between the way divine life is intended by the only one who is seated in his throne in the heavens, and the way that men try to build towers and fortresses and buildings and, and, and. With this context, this interesting fact that women represent communities isn't just recontextualized for our understanding of the function of the Virgin Mary in the Gospel of Luke, for example, but changes how we hear the meaning of characters like, I don't know, Mary Magdalene. There's an interesting character who appears in all four Gospels, who doesn't have a big role to play in each of the Gospels, but whose name is curious. This is a character who, because of Theoria has taken on a non-biblical persona that has distracted everyone from her literary function and value, and it has everything to do with the function of her name, its consonantal root in Hebrew, 
and how it relates to the issue of women as community and the tension between the things that men build and that which God wills in his scroll. We have this character who appears around the crucifixion and resurrection. This is where Mary Magdalene becomes really famous, and this is how she gets folded into a lot of stories. The second thing is her name, because it is significant. It has many layers to it. The continental root, it means big. In Hebrew, a migdal or a migdol means a tower, or also can mean a fortress or something like this, but it is a safe high place. You want to be safe, you create your own higher ground. Okay, the first time we hear about uh, Migdal is sure enough in Genesis 11:4 when the people want to be safe and so they want to build their own city with a tower that goes up to heaven. That's the first Migdal we know about. And that wasn't a very good thing. I just want to point that out in case you're wondering, listeners. It's not a good thing to build your own. Exactly. <laughs> the one time that a Migdal can be good is if God is your Migdal, as we see in the Psalms. Having a migdal is what people do in order to fortify themselves and keep themselves safe. Well, in my commentary in Hosea, I talk about how this is really the root of the problem, is that human beings want to keep themselves safe. They don't want to depend on God to make them safe. One who builds a tower, who builds a fortress, who builds up a military, who builds up their own strength, no longer counts on God. So what does God have to do? God continually has to make his point by showing, you know what, I can get through any wall that you throw up, any lock you want to put on your door, I'll get through. Let me try this. How about the entire Babylonian army? You think they can get through? Yeah, they do every time. Oh, how about the Assyrian army? Or how about even the Roman army? Now, historically, we know that there is a city called Magdala, which was a Jewish city on the Sea of Galilee, and that the city of Tiberias was built as a rival city by the Romans. So it seems that there was, in fact, among the Jews of the Roman period, or maybe before, to build up a city called Magdala, called Tower. Magdala is Migdol or Migdal in Aramaic. So Magdala is a city which is place where Jewish people want to build a tower and keep themselves safe. Eh, guess what? God's going to allow the Romans to go and build one, or even make the Romans build uh, Tiberius, which is going to challenge the strength and the protection that Magdala might provide. So now you have a woman who appears in this story right around the time of the crucifixion. Well, what is the th- story, what is the point, what is the teaching of the crucifixion? Human power is not what's going to defeat Roman power. It's only God's power. God has to put his son to death in order to defeat the Romans, not make him stronger, not build a tower around him, not give him x-ray vision and a bulletproof vest. He has to allow him, he has to cause him to die. So this name, it's not just Magdalene, it's not just Magdala, but it's Mary Magdala, and Mary means bitter. And so it's the bitterness, which is the tower, which is the city that attempted to make people safe. And as we talked a couple episodes ago, Father, the true hope is not in building a stronger, bigger, better city, but in the remnant that comes after God makes his point and tears down that city and tears down that fortification. This is a text addressed to a church that is a mixed church, predominantly Gentile, but there is obviously a Jewish constituency. 
And the tower of Magdala, the city of Magdala, the fortress built by the hand of man, is not synonymous with Mary Magdalene. Because Mary Magdalene, here, in this gospel, in this verse, is not the same Mary Magdalene in Luke, is not the same Mary Magdalene we find in Mark or in John. She functions differently in each gospel. She has a different part to play. It's so important to remember this. You cannot conflate her function. Then you start getting, again, these legends that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. Where does it say that she was a prostitute? Where? That came out of homilies from the Middle Ages. It didn't come out of the gospel. Here in Matthew, she represents a community that is inclusive of both Jew and Gentile, that is predominantly a Gentile church, which means the victory has been won. So if we're talking about a tower, it's the tower that God has established. It is God's fortress, which comes out of the scroll of his gospel to the nations, which is victorious. He has already crossed the sea. <laughs> Remember that the people of Israel camped at Pi-Hiroth between Migdal and the Red Sea. If we have a church that is predominantly Gentile, this gospel is being preached after the teaching of Moses has been carried across the sea. So Mary Magdalene in this sense is very important, but the importance comes out of the meaning and the functionality of the name. I've never heard anyone really talk about this, Richard, except to come up with the simple discussion of, yeah, she's from this place, Magdala. Well, I don't know that that's the case. What do you mean she's from Magdala? Yes, obviously people were named after towns that they came from. But is that what the text is dealing with? Or are we dealing with functionality and meaning? In a literary tradition that hates what men build, bana is a profane word in scripture. And if it's a tower built by the hand of man, it's doubly profane like the pillars in Galatians. Paul referring to Peter, James, and John as pillars? It's the worst possible insult. I mean, if you know scripture and you hear someone refer to you as a pillar, you would tear your garments. It doesn't get any nastier than calling someone a pillar if you know scripture. So it's very beautiful and very powerful that Mary Magdalene, in that sense, as the community that comes out of the scroll established by Paul's preaching, that Mary Magdalene functions as the Lord's fortress, to the extent that it truly is the community that is controlled by God's Torah. I'm grateful, Father, that you brought up this very important point that's so easy for people to miss, is that you can't conflate characters from one gospel to another one, unless you really understand what's going on in each one of the gospels, then you can start to see the commonalities and the differences. Only in Matthew do we have another mention of Magdala as a place. It's in Matthew 15.39. Now, some manuscripts have Magadan and some of them have Magdala. But the significance of having it be Magdala is this is the place when Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, he went to Magdala. 
he arrived in Magdala that faced off with the rival encampment and fortification of the Romans. He saw the hopelessness of Magdala firsthand in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew. And it is precisely someone from Magdala who showed up to see not only the crucifixion, but to show up at the grave to mourn misunderstanding the resurrection and therefore the message of hope that would come from this very important death that God caused for his son. Jesus went to Magdala, this hopeless fortification of the Jews that faced down this Roman fortification of Tiberias. Jesus saw the hopelessness firsthand. He's going to Magdala because he is the shepherd coming to rescue the lost sheep of the house of Israel throughout all four Gospels, definitely in the Gospel of Matthew. That's a dominant theme because shepherdism is the dominant metaphor in Scripture. That's why in our interview with the Oromo community, it was important to mention that shepherdism was central in Scripture because the Oromo people are shepherds. Matthew is the gospel of the Oromo Christian community, whether they realize it or not, Dr. Benton. Many women were there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee while ministering to him. What is striking when we think of the meaning of the word Magdalene and Magdal within the context of the Book of the Twelve and everyone's clamoring for security, and the building of towers, and, 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 and. Once again, fear is operative in verse 55. If God is your fortress and your tower, if you are surrounded by his instruction on Mount Zion, if you trust in the Lord, why are you looking on from a distance? Why? It begs the question. Whom do you fear? This is a question that keeps coming up again and again in the New Testament and in the Gospel of Matthew, always as we deal in the currency of the execution of Jesus. Whom do you fear? It's very clear that Jesus in the end is only afraid of his Father. Everyone else is afraid of everything else, beginning with the Roman soldier who's afraid of the earthquake. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, they were standing afar off and they were neutralized. They were not able to move in and try to help or do anything. It's also significant they followed Jesus from Galilee. That's what we we're just talking about. This city of Magdala was on the Sea of Galilee. So there is this connection again with Mary Magdalene, Magdala, and the Sea of Galilee. There's something here that's significant because Jesus crossed over the Sea of Galilee and ended up in Magdala. In the book of Matthew, we have a further reinforcement of that connection between Jesus, Magdala, the hopelessness that the Jews had in a great fortification, and their new hope then in the death of God's Son. Among them was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. If with the name Tower, she's acting out of fear at a distance? Is she truly functioning as God's tower here? You're always walking the line in Scripture. There are no heroes. We want to say she's a good guy. 
because that's an easy and comforting story to tell. But verse 56 on the tail of verse 55 is very uncomfortable for me. What does Mary Magdalene place her trust in if she's looking on from a distance? Which then raises a question about the entire church community being addressed in the Gospel of Matthew. What's wrong with the church? I know that's difficult to hear because you want to use the Gospel of Matthew to say, please come join my church. When Matthew is saying, hear me, there's something wrong with your church. Well, not your church, the church that he's addressing here in the first century, which is a different church than your church. I'm not talking about your philosophical continuity. I'm talking empirically about a group of people that are different than you, meaning whomever he's writing to, it's a different group of people than the people listening to this podcast or the people that go to your local church. If you can't accept that and you try to argue that it's the same group of people, then you're not doing basic math and I can't talk to you. Then we can talk philosophy and you can imagine whatever you want. And after you're done, we can go visit Luke Skywalker on Tatooine. Because why not? It's very important what I'm saying. He is addressing a specific group of people who are no longer with us. And their sin was cowardice. Their sin was placing their trust in something other than the Father of Jesus Christ. And now, a woman who represents that community in the story, whose name should be in opposition to the tower that men build in stone, is manifesting the same kind of cowardice. It begs the question. Especially when, here as she's presented, she is the primary face of these two women, which represent the whole community of the church, both Jew and Gentile. So we have this Mary the Magdalene who represents this false hope of the Jews in fortifications like Hosea dismantles. We have this other Mary who is the mother of James and Joseph, or Joseph. It gets a little garbled in the English because we're not dealing with the Hebrew. James is Jacob. Okay, that's one thing that gets really confusing to English readers is because James means Jacob. So sometimes we have Jacob and sometimes we have James, but they're the same name in Hebrew. They're the same names in Greek, too. They're the same name in French. I mean, it's just an oddity of the English language. And then we have Joseph. So we have the mother of Jacob and Joseph. So that's the father and the son. Jacob is Israel. Joseph is the favored son of Jacob. So we have another false hope, which is the false hope of being of the line of Israel. Actually, even the mother of the line of Israel, representing Israel. In a way, we have another Rachel, another mother of Jacob, who is also the mother of Joseph. The hope in the line of Jacob is not a hope. We cannot put our hope in the fortification. We cannot put hope in genetics or identity. The only hope is the destruction of the fortification and the destruction of identity, which these women just beheld, standing afar off, not getting engaged, not getting involved. 
this teaching is the cure for false hope. If you're not paying attention to the language, you might assume we're saying flippantly that there's a problem with the women looking on from a distance. But in the Gospel of Matthew, this word, makrothen, is only used twice. Here, when it's referring to the women looking on from a distance, and in chapter 26, when Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. I want everyone to take a moment and register that connection. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, the term is used more frequently and perhaps has a different function. We could explore that another time. I would say the same about the Gospel of Luke. But here in Matthew, it's used twice, and it connects the women here with Peter in the courtyard of the high priest. That is not something to dismiss lightly. There is something wrong about their proximity to Jesus here in the text. There's something wrong about the cowardice of the church they represent in the story here in the text. That is the bottom line. Everyone has lost hope. Peter, the rock, had nothing to stand on. Mary, the tower, had no protection left. Mary, the mother of Jacob and of Joseph, had no hope in the line. They only had hope in this crucified one left, which is not a good position to be in. And this is where we find these characters so little mentioned, yet informing us so much of what the loss of hope means at this moment. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.